Well, thank you, everyone. I can't tell you how much of a blessing and really an honor it is for me to be able to go through this whole vicarship process and share and kind of bring you along the way. So as I'm asking if you can join me in this journey because I'm gonna be more explaining my struggles through these verses and hopefully we'll get you to follow along and help. Um, let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for these opportunities to just spread your word, spread the gospel. I ask that you help me get out of the way and just speak through me, speak the words that need to be heard, that you want to be heard, and open the hearts to hear them. In your name we pray, amen. So I gotta make sure I've got all my doodads turned on. So, Dave does this so smoothly, doesn't he? He comes up here, he walks up, he turns the microphone on. Anyways, so, we're talking about darkness, and this week, darkness, in this passage, refers to the Antichrist. And before we get into that, like Steve said, this is a very difficult topic because we all have our views on the Antichrist. I want to show you a short video clip that, of a movie, The Omen, that came out in 1976. This was my first experience or, I guess, introduction into what an Antichrist was. So, Andrew, if you can... I, I don't know if you caught it, but there was three sixes on the back of the head. And, and when I think of the Antichrist, that is what I think, 666, the mark of the beast. Um, I want to backtrack a little bit and just say that growing up, I was a very active child, and that's a really nice way of saying that I was into everything. Um, I couldn't sit still. Sometimes my parents would say, I'll give you a dollar if you could sit still for like 60 seconds. I couldn't ever win the dollar. <laughs> my energy, it was, it was sitting there. It, it could have gone good, did a lot of bad things. And so this movie, I watched it <laughs> with my family. A nice family movie night on a Friday. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, through the movie, uh, I kept seeing them looking at me. <laughs> and, and, and I was wondering if it was movie night or an intervention. Okay. So, you know, one of the things my mom used to tell me in regards to that was, uh, you know, I can't wait till you have kids because you're going to get a kid just like you. Because that's the way God works, you know. How many out there have heard that? Okay. So my mom repeated this every time I got into some trouble or anything like that. And, and so when I was in high school, it dawned on me. It's like, when my mom said that, I said to her, well, mom, if that's true, what did you do to deserve me? <laughs> my mom was quick and replied, what was your dad? So... Anyways, so, you know, after the movie night, uh, I uh, hit all the scissors, and I slept with a hat on all night, okay. So, 
One of the things that you have when you lose hair as you get older, I was upset by that, but you know what? There is no 666 back there, okay? So, um, and I think, you know, Steve, Andrew, we can all, you know, we, we don't have the 666. You guys with long hair, you might want to sleep on your back and hide the scissors tonight, okay? Just so. Um, so, we're going to start with a poll because I like to get into numbers. Like I said, I'm a scientist in the numbers. So, um, before we do that, I'm going to. Oh, Oh, sorry. Set it up here. Crap. Okay, so get your phones out. And while you're doing that, um, take your time, make sure everyone's set. And you also should know that you don't have to re-enter this because there's going to be a second poll coming shortly after. So keep your phones here. So everyone got your phones out? Good, good, ready to go. Need more time? Okay, Andrew, um, let's see. Is the poll coming up? Okay, so the question is, how many times does the word antichrist appear in Revelation? You know, so A is zero, B is one, C is four, D is seven. So let this go. And you know, what I'm actually looking for is recruiting other people for the SMP program. So if you get these polls right, come and see me afterwards and we can get you enrolled. Okay, it's going. Um, I'll keep it going. So uh, I actually lied because darkness lies that Revelation, uh, the Antichrist does not appear at all in the book of Revelation. Does that surprise anyone? It actually, um, it appears four times in the Bible, three times in 1 John, and one time in 2 John. You know, when I mention the Antichrist, you know, what, what is your first, expression, uh, first impression, or what comes to mind first? Uh, yeah, I always think of one person, um, you know, aligned with Satan, evil, ushering in the end times. I mean, is that pretty much anything else that you think about with that? But we've been looking at it for Antichrist all through history. A war comes, we look for an Antichrist. Things get bad, we look for an Antichrist. So two weeks ago, I mentioned I was a scientist and I like to do research. And so... I started doing some deep research, meaning a Google search for about 15 seconds, um, on some false claims of Antichrist in the past. And so I'm going to show some slides of some people. Some of you are going to agree, yeah, 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 that makes sense, and others probably not. So John F. Kennedy was considered the Antichrist because... He received 666 votes at the 1956 Democratic Convention and later died of a head wound. Ronald Reagan was also considered the Antichrist because Ronald Wilson Reagan, six letters or numbers, six letters in each name, 666. 
Barack Obama was considered the Antichrist because the day after his election in 2008, the pick three lottery number was 666 in Illinois. Now, this last one is Barney, and I know all, all you parents that raise kids in this generation are going, I knew it, I knew it was Barney, I knew it, okay. But let me tell you this, it's actually kind of convoluted, and um, so how you get there is you take cute purple dinosaur, then you convert it to Latin letters, then you re extract all the Roman numerals out of there, and you come up with 666. Okay. Now, you know, kudos to the people that took, had that time to do that. Uh, but actually, you know, it is kind of funny. Barney is not the Antichrist. So we have a second poll coming, so keep your phones out. And, and the second poll is actually going to ask the questions. One of those four supposed Antichrists there was incorrect information there. And hoping to see if you guys could figure it out, figure out which one isn't true. So the poll's coming up. So the first one is Kennedy receiving 666 votes at the 1956 Democratic Convention. Ronald Reagan's name's adding up to 666. Barack Obama, 666 Lottery Day after the 2000 or Barney's name converting to 666. So I see that we're, we're kind of heading high for Kennedy. And some of your old timers, I think you may have caught this, maybe some of the younger generation. Um, in fact, it's A, uh, for the simple reason is, Kennedy was nominated in 1960, not 1956. In fact, he didn't, he, he ended up with 806 delegation votes, so there was only one six there. Not even close, anyways. So, you know, all of this shows that um, when we look at darkness, darkness lies. See, we can come out with anything. We can make any person, any name. And so, going back to what I talked about two weeks ago, I listed four things that darkness does. Darkness lies, darkness confuses, darkness is dangerous, and darkness is loneliness. I also explain how darkness is the absence of light. So darkness is where light doesn't exist. And as I read the passage for this week, which is John 2.18, through 27, um, I want to see if you could pick out some of those themes about lying, loneliness, and dangerous, and confusion. So I know Dave doesn't embrace his glasses, but I am going to. So. Embrace age, people. So children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, Oh, sorry, let you get catch up. Many antichrists, even now, many antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. 
However, however, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth, who is the liar? If there is not the one who denies that Jesus is Christ, the one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. In what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he, had, he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you all about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as he taught you. Remain in him. So, of those, I heard lie. I heard confusion because the people are trying to confuse them. I think the underlying theme is when you believe that confusion, it's dangerous. You live a dangerous life outside of Christ. And it's lonely, okay? When you live out that place, it is lonely. So, the one thing that, you know, that's a lot of words, and, and I'm gonna focus on Antichrist, because like I explained earlier, um, we think of the Antichrist as a person, okay? It's somebody coming, but here John clearly says they're among us. And I know many of you might want to look to the left of you and go, yeah, 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 that I believe that. So <laughs> elbows, something like that, dumb. Um, but I want to put this in terms that I can understand. So I'm a scientist, and there are two types of scientists. There are the benchtop scientists, and then there are the desktop scientists. So a desktop scientist usually collects the data. They perform the experiments. They're in, in the nitty gritty. Um, there's some synonyms for experience, you know, observe and record, realistic, first-hand knowledge, practical real world. So you can say that the benchtop chemist is the one that's you know, experiencing the experiment. Now, a desktop scientist, which unfortunately lately I've become more of, um, we analyze the data. So we don't, we're not involved in the data collection process. We take the data, we analyze it. And so we're trying to prove a hypothesis. We're trying to say the data is telling us something. It's speculative. We're, we're trying to think of what could it prove, what could it say. There's nothing really concrete about analyzing the data. It's all theoretical, intellectual, or whatever. So I'm telling you that you're probably wondering <laughs> where I'm going with this. You know, there is no other poll question, so don't worry, you have to remember any of this. But um, I realized that when I moved from a benchtop follower of Jesus, the experiencing of Jesus, to a desktop follower of Jesus, I exist more in my thoughts and I spend more time there. I move away from the bench and I spend times in my head. I begin to question, maybe doubt is a better word, my experiences with Jesus, 
Often my doubt leads to denying what I experienced with God. You know, by the definitions, I then become an antichrist. I deny in my head the experiences I have. The more I move away from experiencing God to analyze God, to analyzing God, the easier it is for me to, to be an antichrist, to stay an antichrist. And I don't need a 666 on the back of my head to prove that. I am comforted, though, that it started all in the Garden of Eden. And so I'm going to read from Genesis 3, 1 through 4. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you will not eat it or touch it or you will die. Serpent replies, no, you will certainly not die, the serpent said. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing evil, good and evil. And so I don't know if you caught that. The serpent doesn't try to convince Adam and Eve from an experiential standpoint. They were actually walking with God every day. Um, they couldn't, he couldn't convince them experientially. So what did he do? He started making them analyze what God said. You know, did God really say this? Did he really mean that? He got them in their heads. And we know how that all turned out. So when you look at this, you can look at the danger and the, and the impact of all this had for humanity. And so even though it's comfortable to think that there is out there, that it happened before me, it still doesn't change the fact that darkness is... is oh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I, this is, I'm still grinning, so bear with me, sorry. Um, anyways, um, so it's actually pretty easy for me to move from experiencing God to rationalizing or analyzing God. You know, they always say, smell the roses. Well, I smell the roses, but then I think about how they were made, you know, how the CO2 gets converted and all these different colors. So I take an experience and I move it to analyzing how it works. I start to move from honoring or worshiping the creator to looking at the creation. Reading rather than participating. Growing up, my kids would sit in front of the TV and play their Wii games. They'd play baseball. And a beautiful sunny day like this, they're inside playing baseball. I'm like, go out and play, participate. So when I start to become too much sofa-bound or in that type of way and not participating, it's easy for me to start analyzing. You know, there was once said in athletics that when, you know, you have people that play the sport and people that umpire it, okay? The people that play it, are good, and the people that umpire it are analyzing it. So you move in that sense from playing and participating to analyzing. Um, when I read the Bible and try to understand what it says, instead of it speaking to me, I'm the Antichrist. 
And if you think about all of this, when we move away from experiencing it to actually analyzing it, it becomes two-dimensional. Our lives are flat. They're, they're not in any way exciting. They're always thinking on and on and on about what can happen next. You know, living in the analysis state, or as we call it, work, the phase, is extremely dangerous for me. It's dangerous for me because my brain can come up with some of the most vile, horrible things when I allow myself to sit there. And that starts a spiral down of me trying to analyze that more and moving spiral down. Instead of going to the word or to my experiences, I live in my head. You know, I often underestimate my mind and the power that it can do. When you think about some of the thoughts, when I think about some of the thoughts I have, um, it's scary. And, and you think, you know, if a director put that on film, what would they be? And I, I guarantee that they would be probably more horrifying than any of the stuff out there. And as an example of this, there was a movie that came out years ago called Psycho. And for so many years, that shower scene in Psycho was viewed as the most scary scene of any movie. You know, even to this day, it's still considered very close. And I want to show you a clip of this. And I want you to think about how the mind takes what that is happening and really kind of puts it into a different phase. Okay. If you think about that, one thing you should notice, that that blade never pierced her skin. Okay. Did you think it pierced the skin? That blood was actually chocolate syrup running down there. Okay. The noise of you hear that stabbing sound was added in afterwards. So this is just a tiny example of how the brain can take something and, and just extend it and make it more horrifying. Um, if the light, if the darkness is analysis, and mind you, I'm not making a comment that analysis is bad or not good. It's really the complete separation of the collection or the experimental or the experiential portion into analysis that disconnect it where it becomes darkness. So if darkness is analysis, then light must be experiential, right? You know, when we move into the light, we participate in things. Light and experiential is a physical concept. I think it's physically. We move and move and we get into it. Now, growing up, not growing up, when my kids were growing up, we went out to Disneyland a few times, and they had this ride calling Soaring Over California. And I don't know if anyone's ever been there or seen that. Any hands on that? Okay. And as I describe it, so, so when, when I was mentioning that, that analysis is two-dimensional, this was billed as a four-dimensional experience, okay? And why, why is that? Because, you know, you're lifted on these, what would appear to be these hang gliders. And through movement and, and videotaping, you would soar and you would get the movement like you were actually moving. You were physically experiencing this. And at one point, they show a, 
a golf course where somebody's teeing off and a ball comes right at you and we're all like ducking. But what they also added was they added smells and temperatures and, and senses. When we flew over in, in orange grove, you smell oranges. When we flew over snow, we felt cold and you smelt that freshness of pine trees. So that's not intellectualizing or analyzing. You're experiencing. And when you experience something, it's very hard to analyze it while you're participating in it, right? You can't, you're not thinking about things. You may afterwards analyze it, but while you're doing it, you're not. I want to take, to really drive home this point, I want you to take out your cell phones and, and as you're doing it, look in your pictures folder and pick out a picture that means a lot to you, that you're experiencing happiness and goodness or whatever, and, and just kind of sit in that picture for a moment. And once you have that, and once you've done that, turn to the person sitting next to you, assuming that they're not in that picture, and, and ask them and try to explain to them what you were feeling and what you were experiencing in that picture. It's difficult, right? Because no one really can do that. You know, it's the term of, you just had to be there, right? Comes up. And so if you look at those pictures from your perspective, you're experiencing it, but the other person is analyzing it. So you can see that experiencing it is actually being there, being present, being, being there. There is a verse, in verse 20, they talk about an anointing of the Holy One. And so anointing actually implies a physical, an action that in this case, blood, rub, rubbing of oil is what they used to do, but, but the blood of Christ is a physical action, okay? It, it physically covers you. It consecrates you, makes you sacred. Also, if you look at, if you look at anointing, it also means shown as a successor, and if you can see that, when I describe analysis, this is all about action, successor, pouring of oil, shedding of blood. It was real, not counterfeit. And in John, or excuse me, Peter, let's see if I get to this slide. Nope. In Peter, Peter denied Jesus three times. His, like Adam, wasn't because he hadn't experienced God. I think he analyzed the situation when he was in, when he was challenged, and chose safety, his safety, as an option. He had walked with Jesus for so many years. And, you know, Jesus corrected that, not by writing Peter a letter, not by sending him a fax or a text, if that was possible, telling somebody else to do that. He, he got down with Peter, and he basically said, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this, these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Three times, Jesus reaffirmed to Peter that he forgave him, just to cover the three times that he denied Jesus. When I analyze, there is really no hope for forgiveness. Moving into the light is the only hope for forgiveness. No matter if it's three times or a thousand times, I get forgiveness. So I'm going to show you a video that kind of describes this and describes, I think, or really kind of demonstrates how we need to keep being forgiven for this. We need to move into an active state. Forgiveness is not analysis, it's active. So if you want to show the... laughing, but you know Jesus looks at us like that, right? right? You know, I realized that I'm, I'm that sheep. I've been anointed by his blood shed on the cross. No matter how many times I jump back into the ditch, Jesus is there to pull me out and forgive me. My intellect can understand forgiveness, because, but forgiveness is not something you think about, it's something you experience. Two weeks ago, I asked to confess some sins that we're dealing with because confession is, again, active. It's not passive. We had surveys. People shared that, and I hope it didn't stop there. Today, what I'm asking is to experience Jesus' forgiveness. Allow him, you the anointed, to rescue you from that ditch like so many times in the past. If you haven't experienced Jesus' forgiveness and you're still stuck in that ditch, maybe today is the day you ask to be rescued from your ditch. The ditch, in the ditch, you can't think your way out. You can't analyze your way out. You have to acknowledge that you need the shepherd to pull you out of that muck, accept his gift of the cross, and let his blood shed, anoint you. Today we're going to celebrate communion. For all the anointed, this is a time that we, when we experience Jesus. For those who maybe haven't experienced Jesus, maybe this is a time before communion that you do experience Jesus. All you need to do is ask for his forgiveness, confess your sins, and ask him to wash your sins away with his blood. I'm going to pray and allow you to just kind of go over what you need to confess and why, what ditch are you in and how you need God and Jesus to get you out of there. And then we're going to move into communion. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, we're so busy looking around for the Antichrist, the one that denies you. We pick people, we pick situations, we pick things 
that we think denied you. But when I look in myself, I realize that there are times when I do deny you, when I do not stand up for you, when I do doubt you, when I do disobey. But I know the blood you shed on that cross for me is enough to cover all of that. That is something I experienced. It's something that I can't think about. So I pray for everyone out there who knows this too. Let them come to the table today and experience Jesus and experience the Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.